Hello again and welcome back to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. And today is a roundtable episode where we talk about the pharma and biotech outsourcing's M&A activity with the people in the know. We have uh, Ross Byrne, who is Chief Executive at Katai, James Hales, who is Senior Director at NorthEdge, and Tom Cowup, who's Managing Director of Pharma Services at Baird. What I wanted to do is give you guys as the listener a bit of a update on what's happening in the market from a M&A activity. It's been a very, very busy last five years or so in terms of transactions. We've seen some of the biggest transactions going on on both sides of the pond. And what we wanted to get a take from these experts today is what's happening right now. Some big macro factors in terms of inflation, uh, interest rates going up, and just a bit of a slowdown in biotech capital. So interested to know how that's feeding through in terms of M&A in the kind of ecosystem that we play in. So my guests today bring, I suppose, three different perspectives. Ross brings that uh, entrepreneurial kind of founder perspective as, and his firm uh, went through a private equity uh, investment last year. Uh, he also talks about how he is now becoming a buyer as they look to expand the business going forward. James is a private equity guy and so he's able to give that real PE investment uh, side of the perspective and how they are looking at the market and what, what has changed. And Tom has a very broad overview of pharma services and sees a huge amount of activity and transactions. So he is very well placed to give kind of a, a broader overview. So some of the things to listen out for today, um, some of the headwinds in consolidation that, that you're aware of, but also why this space is pretty resilient and uh, why it's uh, there's lots of cause for all. For optimism, uh, also why P is still so keen on firms in our space, and listen out for Tom talking about how the kind of size and shapes of deals and the way companies are investing has changed in the last couple of years, which I found, which I personally found uh, pretty fascinating. And um, Ross talks in quite a lot of length towards the back end of the interview uh, with respect to how he sees growth uh, pillars in his organization, which I suspect any of you could adopt in your own organization. So make a note of these when Ross talks about that. And finally, we also do our thing where we look forward to the future in terms of what's happening from a geographic perspective. Uh, will biotech continue to outsource and how will that impact the sector? And uh, I really love uh, Tom's uh, section towards the end where he talks about some of the other sub-segments within pharma services that he expects to continue to see activity in the future. Bit of background on the guests. So Ross, after completing his PhD in 2007, he joined AstraZeneca as a senior analytical chemist in process R&D. Ross's analytical expertise and entrepreneurial mindset was pivotal in the establishment of Katsai in 2011. He became CEO in 2015 and has since led the company's pivot from a catalyst screening company to the award-winning innovation partner for medicines development that it is today. As such, Ross was included on the 2021 edition of the Medicines Maker annual power list of inspirational professionals in the pharmaceutical industry. And as I mentioned, Katzai provided, uh, sorry, received P backing in 2022. 
James is a senior director at North Edge. And just to mention, actually, North Edge are the investor in one of my firms, Remarketing. So I was able to um, twist his arm to come on and give a perspective. But uh, his views today are very much specific to the market and not about remarketing. Uh, James leads the healthcare origination efforts and part of the wider healthcare team at North Edge. Uh, he is fortunate to, to meet with management teams nationally across a sub number of subsectors to understand their plans and identify new investment opportunities for North Edge via growth and development capital, management buyouts, equity release, and buy and build opportunities. Prior to joining North Edge, James spent seven years in corporate finance at Clearwater International, where he was a director responsible for generating mid-market opportunities and managing the deal origination team. Last but certainly not least is Tom. Tom is Managing Director in Baird's European Healthcare Investment Banking Team. He joined Baird from Elantra, where he spent nine years building the company's pharma services coverage effort, providing m and services for financial sponsors and independently owned founder-backed businesses in the space. Prior to that, Tom worked at PwC in the Financial DD team, and he also served in the British Army Reserve 7th uh, battalion, the Rifles and the 4th Battalion, Yorkshire Regiment. Tom is an ACA and had a bachelor's degree in finance from Durham University, which is a lovely part of the world, very close to where I grew up. I really hope you get a great deal out of today's episode. It's uh, take quite a lot of effort from my team and I to bring such experts uh, and get dates in the diary. So it's jam-packed of stuff that I think you can take into your own industry and um, your industry into your own businesses and it goes without saying but thank you as always for listening please leave us a review let us know if you like this style of interview where we bring in a couple of guests into a round table um, if you haven't already please pick, pick up a copy of my book the floundering founder um, which actually talks about the growth of our business up to the point of the investment that we received at remarketing and beyond that please give us a kind rating and enjoy today's episode well hey gents welcome to the show and just to start off with let's give our listener a bit of a flavor for who you are who you work for and what you do so james let's start with your good self and then ross if you want to follow and then tom if you go last tell our listener a bit about yourself Thanks, Ramad. As you said, I'm James. I'm Senior Director here at Northedge, and we are a low mid-market private equity fund specialising in investing in a number of sectors, with healthcare being one of our core focus areas. We typically invest anywhere between $5 million in equity, straight up to circa $75 million into minority partnership or majority positions, and across Healthcare, we have four key subsectors that we like to focus on, which are pharma services, medical technology, medical devices, and also health and well-being. And we, we're very fortunate to uh, to back you, man, which I'm sure we can touch upon a bit later on. Uh, yeah, that's me. So, yeah, spoiler alert for our uh, listener, uh, North Edge are uh, an investor in one of my companies, Remarketing, so it's great to have James on the show, and I'm sure we can go into a bit of detail about our relationship at some point as well. So Ross, uh, already a seasoned guest on Molecule to Market, but remind our listener who you are. Hi, yeah, Ross, the Chief Executive and Co-Founder of Cats Elevative. Um, We are in pharma services, one of the subsectors James just alluded to, um, and we're an innovation partner for 
chemical development at the moment um, for small molecules and oligonucleotides that we're on a journey to become an integrated medicines development company to take assets from preclinical to proof of concept. Thanks, Ross. And over to you, Tom. Hi, Managing Director at RW Baird, which is a US investment bank. Uh, so I provide corporate finance advice, which essentially means supporting businesses with any kind of capital event, whether that's raising funds, buying another business, or selling their own business. And that's exclusively to businesses in the pharma services and life science tools landscape. So businesses that support with taking their clients' drugs from the very beginning of an idea right through to commercialized success. So outsource drug discovery, CDMOs, clinical work, outsource commercialization work, and the tools and material that feeds into that ecosystem. Thanks, Tom. So listener, you can see we have some uh, tremendous experts around the table today to talk about M&A primarily in the outsourcing kind of pharma services space. So let's start with the kind of wider market. And Tom, let's start with you as I suspect, given your role in investment banking, you see kind of the the broadest spread of, uh, of the market. So how are you seeing the market today at the, you know, the, the start of 2023, we're almost at the end of quarter one versus, say, what you've seen in the last 12 to 18 months. Yeah, and it's an interesting time because I'd say there's a lot of headwinds and change at the moment. And change and flux is bad for M&A. Um, certainty is sort of the big driver of capital flowing through the system. Whereas when we're in change, what you tend to see is capital gets held back as people wait for things to settle. And right now we've got rising inflation, rising interest rates, sector-specific actions like the Inflation Reduction Act coming through in the US, which people have concern in big pharma around what that will do to returns on blockbusters, Um, potential recessionary indicators, uh, a concern around future biotech funding. So there's a lot of headwinds there that you'd expect to slow down M&A activity. And we have seen a bit of a slowdown compared to last year. But what you'd also expect to see is a reduction in valuations. And what's interesting at the moment is one of the big drivers in activity over the last 24 months has been the private equity community. So professional funds that raise fixed life vehicles uh, and look to invest those across 10 years. And actually, those funds have raised records amount of capital in the last 24, 36 months and been a big driver of M&A activity, they are still keeping the market buoyant and offsetting a lot of that um, negative wider sentiment. So we're seeing a slight slowdown in activity, but not as big a slowdown as you might expect. And interesting, what we aren't seeing is valuations coming off. So actually, really high quality businesses in the space are still achieving really premium valuations, and we're seeing some high watermarked valuations. Um, and the space in some way is benefiting from all those negative factors in that there's a lot of capital out there seeking a home and right now it's not really looking for a home in some of the more cyclical sectors um, you know retail leisure spaces which people expect to be more impacted by a downturn and instead it's being driven into defensive sectors like pharma services and life science tools so despite a lot of uncertainty in the market despite some headwinds, 
this sector is still seeing a good amount of activity, slight slowdown, but a good amount of activity, very good valuations, and we'll come on later perhaps to more specific discussion around the MA activity, but good valuations. And the businesses seem to be healthy. So we're not seeing slowdown in trading from most of the businesses we're talking to right from discovery through clinical and CDMO. We're seeing a little bit of slowdown from some of the commercialization businesses, but that seems to be mostly where they're heavily exposed to post-launch activity. Um, and that's driven by, I think there's a backlog, particularly in the US, around the FDA getting approvals through. So if a lot of your work is linked to post-launch activity, it's not that the work isn't there to come, but that there's a bit of a block in the work coming through because approvals are slowing down. But there should be a catch-up as those get through the FDA process in the States. That's uh, very interesting to get your perspective on, I suppose, that the wider market and some positive things with it amongst that as well. And obviously, the nice segue to James is, you mentioned, obviously, there's, there's capital still there seeking a home and private equity continues to to look for deals. So, James, as is, is you look at the market do you have a similar view to what Tom kind of talked about? And I suppose interesting to hear, obviously, North Edge do invest in non-life science sectors as well beyond pharma services. So interesting to get your take on how your investment portfolio looks or will look in pharma services versus the other areas and whether it's more attractive or less attractive uh, than, say, tech or other areas that you guys invest in. Yeah, sure. And I think I'd echo a lot of the things that Tom had said around it being probably a little bit more challenging around m and I think debt and inflation and interest rates, as, as Tom said, has and will continue to have an impact on the market. And clearly the life sciences market is probably going to be a bit quieter this year. But I think if you look at historic levels over the last few years, it's been, been very frantic in terms of investment and I think also that wall of capital as well just in terms of there's a lot of equity houses with a lot of money to deploy. Um, so that means you need to think in innovative ways to deploy that capital and situational investments. And I can't see, as, as you say, we, we invest across a number of different sectors in, in pharma services and healthcare is a, a core area for us. And I suppose we're in a nice position that actually a key part of my role is to meet businesses and founders and understand what their aspirations are and how they're looking to grow, whether that's organic or a combination of M&A, whether that's UK or, or further afield. And I'm sure Ross will be well-placed to, to sort of chat through that a little bit later. But and equally, as, as you know, Roman, we've got businesses like Helios in our portfolio, which is a full-service global healthcare communications uh, agency. And, and we've seen really strong resilience in, in that business in terms of, of Last two years, we've more than doubled the headcounts. We've successfully launched in the US from a standing start, and that should account for circa 25% of revenues this year. And I think, again, from when you're looking at large pharma, we're still seeing high levels of resilience in budgets from the client base and, and continue to work on top-tier blockbuster therapies. So I think the, the market dynamics and the market landscape are always going to be really attractive to private equity and, and trade alike. And because everyone's chasing the same ball, I think it's a case of you do have to think in different ways of how you're going to support and equally demonstrate how you're going to add value to a business, probably before a process launches. 
and if that's not an off-market deal and that's something with value creation and uh, all the work and endeavor that, that we put in to try and help support our portfolio companies is something we take really seriously and i think one of the good things with with healthcare is obviously is it all points towards esg in terms of if you look at the outlook the companies are striving to develop new treatments and therapies that help people live longer uh, and live healthier lives so that the market dynamics are always going to be attractive to to private equity and we've also invested in a business called meet uh, which is an international provider of talent solutions to the life sciences sector and and again we've seen a lot of pharmaceutical companies continuing to build out teams uh it's probably slightly offset by a slowdown in vc biopharma funding uh, in the bay area which which won't be surprised to people uh and then again going back to your question roman just thinking around this is probably offset with strong demand in medical devices for talent which again we're just seeing no real slowdown there uh in terms of demand so I, I think there's a there's a really positive outlook and, and the long-term market drivers mean that actually you'll see a lot of privacy funds whether it's uk or global look to invest in in healthcare businesses we're seeing quite a lot of larger privacy houses speaking to us about our portfolio companies because valuation multiples have been really high over the last probably couple of years actually uh partly driven from covid but but other wider factors so they're looking to, to sort of dip down in a way and, and look for platforms where they can do m a uh, to try and get a little bit more sensible entry multiples and then again just going back to your point we're on across as invested across different sectors within technology has always been a really strong area for us to invest in and we've got some fantastic businesses in our stable um, but we've always triangulated our our ARR levels back to profitability uh, which has been really important I think where others have found it a bit more challenging in terms of one looking at the debt markets but equally looking at sort of where there's a high level of burn rate is, is a risk reward appetite potentially to keep funding those losses in the business uh, just to grow top line people I think from LPs and, and straight through to the, the actual equity providers are becoming a bit more thoughtful in that area so we're starting to see valuations taper probably in, in the technology businesses that, that we're talking to um, but equally again there are, there's some really strong market dynamics there uh, so I suppose it, it depends on the subsector that's quite a bit way to answer the question sorry man but no no that, that's great I think I mean you know I think for, for me what our listener is hopefully hearing from you guys uh is is despite the kind of wider uncertainty in in macro factors the market's still in a good positive place it might not be as wonderful as it was maybe 12 months ago but it's still you know versus other markets and from a long-term kind of market dynamic perspective is an attractive place which is which is very encouraging which leads me nicely to ross and Ross, the, the, since the last time you were a guest on the podcast, you have, have like ourselves, at Remarketing, uh, you know, gone ahead and, and done a private equity deal. So, firstly, congratulations to you and the team for achieving that. And so, so give us a bit of a flavour and, and lift the lid on on how that deal came about. And it sounds like from a timings perspective and where valuations were, you probably played a bit of a blind <laughs> in terms of when you did your deal but it would be great i suppose to give the perspective of an entrepreneur and someone that's 
got a an asset of value in this space and and how you thought about that before you decided to to come to market yeah sure um they give a, a bit of background um so we did our deal june of um 2022 so you know sort of seven or eight months ago um and we started our process to bring in an investor um about 12 months beforehand so the background to to our needs and why we did it um we are a platform that's growing roughly around 50 percent year on year organic from from the debt market so we borrow what we could um from the lower debt market to, to build capabilities and capacity and and then um fill that capacity with um with demand from our customer base um but we're getting to a point where that was a going to probably peter out and um the growth rate would come down but actually um we wanted to find a partner that could help us do m a because we wanted to diversify as a business away from the niche then of doing um, mostly process chemistry to becoming an integrated medicines development organisation that does not just non-GMP chemical development, but GMP um, material supply and drug substance, right way through to formulation development and finished doses form. Um, and that's far too much to bite off organically, um, in a, you know, even in a five-year time frame. Um, so we wanted to really accelerate what we could do by adding more value to our customer base and making efficacious medicines, medicines for, for patients in need. So it was very much um, to accelerate what we could do um, to get to that end in mind, which is uh, making um, integrated medicines development offerings. Um, so yeah, we, we found, yes, it's been, you know, sort of six, seven, eight months ago from when we completed and maybe 12 months ago until we started our process that there were lots of interested um, private equity houses in, in the UK, Europe and in the US looking for pharma services platforms, not just for us, but from my from my network as well. And from my yeah, information from, from peers in the industry, there's still lots of interest. Um, I think there's lots of dry powder, um, as both you know James and Tom alluded to. Um, there's great multiples in the in the sector because of the you know the overall market factors. Simplicity is that you know the markets are growing. Um, Kygos for small molecules, oligonucleotides, and other complex medicines are expected to grow. The number of therapeutics in the pipeline are still expected to grow. Yes, there's headwinds, um, but you know it's a it's a great market to be in at the moment. But the you know, expanding number of therapeutics in the pipe. So, so yeah, we had a, a fantastic process and, and, um, yeah, as you alluded to, Roman, I think the timing was perfect from, you know, the valuation perspective and, and, um, we're hoping in, you know, four or five years time, it'll be even stronger. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. What, if anything, were you able to share about the the future direction of the business? Appreciate you said that there's a desire to accelerate the growth, but you know, is is the plan to continue to grow it internationally and add more capabilities? You know, I'm sure it's a combination of things, but suppose what I'd love you to do is paint a picture of what that investment and an investment partner um, enables you to do that you might not have been able to do beforehand. So yeah, starting from maybe the background, in but 2018, 
and we were a business turning over shy of two million pounds. I remember coming up with a business plan for my my colleagues saying I want to take us to a, a billion pound valuation by 2030 and everyone laughed. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's you know, that's our end in mind um, is to build a platform not just for 2030 but you know to be prominent in the marketplace and, and really build high value jobs not just in the UK but in Europe and the US as well. So what we're looking to do is to really drive um, the business forwards in the UK by having no sense of excellence or sense of excellencies, maybe multiple and not too distant future, um, and then you know expand our business into to overseas territories. Most of our business is actually from the US, so we, we service US big pharma and, and biotech, but you know we do have customers across the globe. So yeah, my you know my ambition is just to continue more of the same, you know very much build a, a platform for what I call the infinite game. Um, we're not looking um, myself and my co-founding partner Simon to to exit fully um, at all. We're looking to to continuously grow. And our um, investment partner Keensight will be with us for a part of the journey, but they'll look to um, obviously to get a return on their investment, and we'll have to find most likely a secondary and um, private equity house to to take us on the next step. Um, and that'll be around probably twenty twenty six, twenty twenty seven. Very exciting times, and uh, obviously from a, a purely UK-centric perspective, it's uh, it's great to see the business growing, and obviously what you guys have got planned in terms of the impact economically and you know communities that you guys serve, which is great. And um, on the subject of geography, as an aeroplane flies over my head, which is uh, very well timed. Tom, talk us. You mentioned obviously that there the has been a bit of a slowdown, but. You also alluded to the fact that valuations are not necessarily coming down. Are you are you seeing less deals, but at the same value, or or anything actually from a geographic perspective? So, are you seeing say more deals in North America versus Europe? Just interested to get you know you're on the kind of cool face of the different geographies and the different sub segments. So, anything that you can share in terms of what you're seeing would be hugely appreciated sure i guess i'll answer the broader piece around perhaps the valuation how deals are changing and then the geography piece from that i think there's been an incredible amount of interest and activity in this space over the last few years and that's been driven by ongoing consolidation within the space itself so that's driven trade acquisitions a large amount of funds sitting with private equity seeking a home in a safe defensive sector that's driven that money into the pharma service and life science tools ecosystem and that's been underpinned by cheap debt and all of that in turn has driven multiples to record highs in the last 24 months and what we saw 12 to 18 months ago was that those record multiples were across the market not necessarily just for the best quality businesses what we've seen in the last 12 months is the debt market's tightened, wider market sentiment has become more cautious. While there's still been that wall of PE money seeking a home. And that's changed the shape of deals a little bit. So it's impacted the larger deals the most. They've slowed down because those larger deals tend to be more reliant on the debt markets and more exposed to debt funding. So they've slowed down more than the smaller end of the market where you're more insulated from the impact of debt. 
we've seen a large PE backed players pulling back slightly because they tend to already have a large amount of debts in their funding stack. And actually they've got that debt currently sold at a fairly good price. They don't want to refinance it. So that's slowed down their acquisition plans. Um, and in turn, we've seen some of the large listed strategics coming back in because they have cash on balance sheet and they're not reliant on debt to fund their acquisitions. So that's a slight change in shape in the market and where the activity is happening. So the activity is pushed down to the sort of core mid-market and smaller end of the market as opposed to the larger end. That's also changed the shape of the targets. So there's now a real drive towards quality given Private equity investors are pretty much accepting that they're having to pay either premium multiples or even slightly overpay to win businesses at the moment. And what they're settling on is we're happy to do that if it's a really quality business, a best in class business in its space, where we're comfortable it will survive any recession and will make a good return. We're not happy to do that if it's of lower quality. So in the last 12 months, what we've seen is a drop in volume slightly. The multiples have stayed where they are, but those multiples have been for the very best businesses. And most of the businesses that transact have been really high quality businesses. I think in the next 12 months, we'll see a slight change in a bifurcation in that lower quality businesses have sort of held back from market. I think we'll see in the next 12 months forced situations where actually some of the lower quality businesses that have to sell come to market and achieve lower valuations and you get some more value hunting type events. We'll still see those very high quality businesses and probably less happening in that mid-tier of the market. In terms of geography, um, oh, sorry, were you going to ask something more? Yeah, it's just, um, I'll, I'll pause you there. appreciate I asked you two questions in one just to confuse <laughs> you even more, Tom. But you mentioned obviously strategic buyers and I was interested, obviously we've, we've focused quite a lot on private equity and we did try and obviously try to get a strategic buyer on the podcast, but getting, getting anyone to talk <laughs> is quite <laughs> difficult. Yeah. Um, Ross, Ross, maybe Ross may become that person in the next couple of years. So Ross is going to wear um, multiple hats for, for me as a guest, but how I love what you said about the the change in shape of the market and driving down, I suppose, it's almost dr driven deals down lower down in the market and I suppose better businesses are getting the attention. How are str like strategic or trade buyers looking at the market? Is I, If I look at the CDMO market, for example, there were some big deals last year, but they were nowhere near as the deals that we saw the in the couple of years before that. And so is it a case of the... And actually, to, to that point, what, what I also saw was a lot of the strategics or the kind of existing big companies really investing in their own facilities, really yeah. investing in their own assets. So is that is my kind of anecdotal observation of what was going on in the market. So it was just kind of interesting to see, are you seeing less strategic buyers in, in, in the mix because they've decided, well, actually, we'll just, we've got enough cash on the balance sheet. We'll just build this ourselves. Well, it's about opportunity cost for them. So in private equity, they raise their funds, they have to deploy those funds and they really have to deploy them in five years. So they don't have a choice but to invest in and acquire businesses. And that's a large part of what's been driving up the multiples in the space. Now, strategic acquirers 
they don't need to go out and buy businesses. So I think what's happened in the last 24 months is they've watched this market becoming very heated, multiples rise to a record level, and they've said, well, we don't need to participate. And actually, if the return on investment from our cash is higher if we spend it on building our own facility than having to go out and compete with these private equity houses to pay a top-end multiple to pull in the capability, well, we'll focus on building it on our own facilities instead. And that's what they've been doing. And that means they've typically only been buying businesses where either it's not suitable for private equity, so and that typically means it's not fast enough growth, or it's very nascent and not scaled yet. So you've seen them very active, for example, in buying more technology-type plays, or there's not an independent management team there that wants to take private equity backing. Um, and you've seen them acquiring also where it is a must-have. So perhaps there is some sort of capability that they feel they really need and it's very difficult for them to build in-house but it's been much more selective from those trade buyers in the last 24 months i think they're now looking at the market and saying well okay private equity at the large end might be cooling off we don't need to raise debt to do acquisitions and therefore this could be a good time to step back into the market and acquire some of the larger platforms at perhaps slightly more sensible multiple which which will would mean more competition and let, let's come back to the geography piece in a, in a few minutes tonks I, I really want your thoughts and perspective on that but i'll bring james in at this point obviously we've talked a lot about private equity and so james i suppose to tom's point um are you guys a little more cautious on deals today versus 12 months ago which Granted, 12 months ago was probably a deal with one of my companies, which I don't know how to uh, how to take that. Um, and, and also kind of, are you seeing more competition in the market? Because as a kind of a lower middle market PE fund, are you seeing that there are more trade buyers in the mix to Tom's point, particularly in pharma services, than there might have been before? Yeah, I think, yeah, really interesting question uh, around that trade buyer landscape and I suppose when I think back with when we invested in Helios, uh, which was in January 2021, uh, a deal that, that Tom worked on uh, historically. And by that point, we probably met circa 70 businesses, ranging from quite small in, in fast growing to, to sort of larger corporates. And we decided that we wanted to put the capital in into medical communications business. Uh, and I suppose meeting a number of those firms gave us the confidence in terms of the market dynamics but for us it's it's always about the team it's about backing and supporting that team to deliver their plan uh, and, and their growth aspirations is really important to us so the ability to build a relationship and hopefully demonstrate how we can create value is is key to us and i think one of the things we always look at before we make an investment is what are we building and why and i think if you get those things right, there are always going to be attractive uh, private equity buyers for that business or, or trade acquirers. And as Tom said, trade acquirers will take a different view because they might not be under pressure to deploy capital. Uh, but I think what we've learned from our years of experience now, obviously in the 11th year is North Edge, but collectively we've, we've made over 40 investments as North Edge and, and sat over 200 boards in the long-term track record. So we've seen seen a lot of things and got a lot of experience that hopefully we can bring to bear and 
you hear privacy sometimes talk around vintages and it's it's great to buy at the bottom and, and sell at the top which is which is common sense but i think we've always held the view as north edge that we continue and want to support great management teams in great sectors so being able to pick the the top and the bottom is is really tricky and i think you can get burnt if you you try and deploy that strategy so for us it's about meeting speaking to and working with fantastic businesses and helping them grow and scale uh, through the cycle because you know if you look back through history there'll be peaks and troughs but uh, being able to predict them is, is quite tricky and I think from everything from COVID straight through to current day there are always challenges and obstacles to grow a business but for us it's about tackling those challenges head on and, and sprinting towards it together with the with the management team to help them grow and scale and making sure that the business is set up for success as well in terms of making sure that there's no undue pressure from uh, putting high levels of debt into a company or being overly ambitious at the start. I think it's for us, we're always looking at what the two to three things we can do over the life cycle of our three to five year journey with a business to really move the dial and, and help the business achieve and reach its uh, potential. Uh, because as Tom said, there, there's a lot of capital within private equity, not only in the UK, but globally. Uh, and that does drive some behavior, but where we like to play, especially across healthcare, is to remain disciplined and look at the caliber of the team and challenge ourselves on, on where we can add value. Uh, and we're happy to pay up for assets, but I think for us, it's making sure that you've got that relationship with the management team and, and also being highly referenceable as well with whether that be with existing founders that we've backed or, or exited. And, and again, in our local markets, because we're a regional investor, uh, across the UK and uh, being close to those management teams is really important to us to be able to help it's it's not the case of turning up to a board meeting once a month and checking the numbers and I, I hope hopefully you'd attest to that Roman. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it's a case of actually having those conversations two three four times a week and, and really getting involved and, and trying to help and I, and I do attest to that because I, uh, I, one of your colleagues was in our office today, and uh, we grabbed lunch together as well. So, and it wasn't a board meeting. So, you are very much a man of your word, James. And you mentioned great management teams in great sectors, and that leads me nicely on to Ross and his business. And Ross, we've obviously talked quite broadly about the space and the market trends, and uh, you know, Tom and James have done a terrific job of kind of painting that broader picture i just wanted to ask you know as you went through the process and you've come out the other side and you're obviously on a growth path now what did what did you learn about your business in terms of how it can improve and where it can accelerate from i suppose just engaging in the, a private equity you know or in a in a sale process and an investment process just to kind of give our listener a bit of a feel for from an entrepreneurial or founder perspective the kind of benefit of being able to see your own business through the eyes of, of an acquirer which is something i found fascinating and i'm just interested to get your thoughts on how what you learn from it but also how that enables you to to build upon that moving forward yeah sure that's a good question um i think we we were quite set on what we believed our growth pillars are and I think they haven't really changed so for me it's how do you build more capacity capacity being 
you know, how can you get more production output in your business? So how can you scale? Um, how can you build more capabilities? Um, and I think speaking to private equity really got me thinking about, right, how can we build capabilities to build a platform? So the, the, the word that platform means different, different things to different people. But for me, it's how can we, how can we create as much value for our customers as, as possible? Always start with obviously your customer in mind. And that led to me thinking, right, you can either follow the molecule or follow the asset. Uh, and I'll explain in two terms now. So if you capture your customer's uh, asset where you're working on, pharmaceutical, therapeutic assets, and um, preclinical, how can you how can you follow that asset through um, into later stage development? So how can you get work and repeat campaigns, um, whether it be in first time in human, you know, POCs, uh, so on and so forth. So you can get repeat business from that one customer on that one asset. And then following the molecule is right. How do you how do you follow the molecule into formulation development into finished doses form and beyond? Um, so you can think about clinical services. You can think about um, actually clinical trials, um, and you can really build your build your platform out. So I think seeing it from a lens from an investor gets you thinking about okay, how can you maximise your lifetime customer value, but also increase your project size and quantum. So you're adding as much as much value as possible. Um, so that was the the second big thing around around capabilities is really think about how you can go up and downstream in the the value chain. And um, the thing that I sort of really learned was really the terms vertical and horizontal integration. So it's all about you know can you organically grow, can you inorganically grow, or can you partner to fill in the, the gaps in your in your value chain. So. For us, um, you know, inorganic investment is a big part of our thesis. Um, never done M and A before, but it's a big part of what we are um, pursuing at the moment. Um, we're looking to do three to five investments in this business cycle to to build capacity and to build capability. So that's two of the main, you know, growth pillars. The third one um, for us was all about capital. And as soon as we did investment with with Keensight and probably beforehand, they said their job was to make sure with their capital and third party debt that we build enough capacity and build our capability so we grow at the rate of demand um, and then we got to build our commercial team and build our marketing department to try and grow as quickly as we can so that's the three sort of growth pillars that um, you know we really uh, you know talked about capital capabilities and capacity to acquire more customers um, which is the fourth one so how do you get you know more of the market share we've evolved into yeah different modalities oligonucleotides are evolving away from small molecules so the third vector we're thinking about beyond follow the molecule follow the asset is you know the vector away from uh, small molecules into more complex medicines oligonucleotides is the first one maybe we'll do something else beyond that um, and that's something that you know we will continuously evaluate as a business um, to yeah, to assess if there's you know value to be had from an enterprise value perspective in another platform, and the final one and it goes back to what James said to me. Yeah, it's not just about the team, but it's about the culture of an organisation. So um, I call it the five C pillars, and the last one is we always want to make sure that we build our culture, um, we build our management team, so that we all you know can grow together and win together. And a big part of what 
we're looking at in our sourcing of uh, you know companies and M&A is is that cultural element. We need to make sure that you know they they will fit with the cat's eye way. Um, not every business will. We need to make sure that you know from management teams down to the way they do signs, the quality of the signs will fit with them. You know, will fit with the cat's eye way. So speaking to investors, they have that sort of really good. What I call heli view on on how to to really grow quickly, and um, it's been a great learning experience for me in the last twelve to eighteen months. That's awesome, Ross. And three to five investments on the cards in the next few years. You are going to be a, a busy guy, but I, I really love the the kind of five areas. I think anyone listening, you know, from a from a commercial perspective, should to rewind back and listen to those because I think they're they're really great kind of as you call them growth pillars and things to just bear in mind when thinking about a growth strategy for a, for a business of all different sizes so uh, fantastic that you were able to share that and appreciate we're almost at time so let's let's forward to the kind of the back end of of the round table and i suppose a very broad question to finish today's interview on and it's around you know you guys getting your crystal balls out and talking about the future and and I know Tom we didn't quite cover the geography piece but any any thoughts about geography and that would be would be great so you know what what do you expect to see in the future are you expecting m a to continue in the pharma services space uh, Tom you mentioned the consolidation period it just anything that will give our listener a bit of insight into what the next 12 to 24 months look like and any thoughts on i suppose uh, geography and value drivers and tom and james if you you can take that and ross i think you've given us a fantastic overview of where Katai is going but nevertheless we'd also love your thoughts on on where you see the wider market going so tom let's let's start with your good self so i think we'll see a lot of activity for a a good amount of time to come and there's a lot of subsectors within pharma services that are still nascent um, and if you look at perhaps clinical outsourcing as a case study for the rest in terms of that's just about hitting stasis in the level of outsourcing activity going on it's gone through a huge period of consolidation and are now a number of listed giants there so it's a sector that's sl- a subsector that's slowed down in terms of activity but the discovery space, the CDMO space, and the commercialization space are still a long way behind it in terms of consolidation, in terms of outsourcing activity. So we've still got a long wave in front of those sectors to mature. And you know, I think we'll see businesses like Ross's company start to consolidate those markets and over our lifetimes go from being mid-market businesses to, to hopefully giant players in their own right. So I think we'll see the whole landscape shift to mature across those subsectors over the next decade to 20 years. And while there's the opportunity to do that, it will drive funding into the sector. And that's supported by strong long-term underlying trends in an increasing proportion of development coming from the biotech community and less and less from big pharma. That biotech community embracing the efficiency of outsourcing and not just the efficiency, but actually the specialization uh, and increased and improved outcomes you can achieve through outsourcing and through domain expertise sitting with 
external domain experts. On your on your geographic piece, I think that ties into that in that the US has always had a much stronger weight of venture capital funding and therefore a much larger VC community than Europe. And that's driven fresh upwards pressure on salaries and costs for STEM individuals. So they're much more expensive out there. It means that the sort of A-star brains in the US tend to be in the biotech field as opposed to the surrounding service field. Whereas I think in Europe, we haven't had that. So over here, you're able to build a team at a much more cost-effective base rate, and you're able to hire um, the real A-star brains into the service community. And that creates a really strong outsourcing trend from US biotech into Europe. At the same time, the US is the largest private equity community in the world. And that private equity community doesn't want to invest into biotech. It's not the right shape of investment for them. It wants to invest in the services space. So I think what we're starting to see and will continue to see is an increased amount of activity from US private equity looking to invest in the service industry in Europe. And that actually, as those other sectors mature, they also globalize. And a lot of European champions start to expand into the States. And that can lead to to good, strong partnerships at the large end of the market with US private equity. And I think we'll see businesses go through a journey of working with funds like James to establish and scale in Europe and become best-in-class players here and perhaps move on to larger transatlantic funds to support with the next stage of the growth after that. Great insights, Tom. Thank you for, for sharing and to real hope for positivity and optimism for the sector going forward, particularly like what you shared around the subsectors and and the different growth and I suppose maturity of each of those areas, which again cause for excitement and optimism. And James, from from your perspective, uh, you know, similar thoughts on what Tom had, anything that you would like to add in terms of what you would expect to see in the next kind of few years and beyond? Yeah, sure. I think if you look at that competitive landscape, you've got researchers continually looking for promising molecules and lead compounds that have the potential to change lives and, and satisfy consumers' growing needs. And I think with large pharma, they steered towards outsourcing a proportion of their research, development, and manufacturing activities. So I think the CRO uh, space and CDMO space will remain really active, whether it's for UK investors or further afield. And I, I think the reason, whilst the levels might be lower than the previous few years in terms of actual M&A transactions and maybe quantum capital deployed, I think the market is such an attractive area uh, with, as Tom mentioned, those long-term dynamics that people will want to continue to deploy capital there. And and the thing that fills me with positivity, and, and it's not just blowing smoke with, with you, Roman, and, and Ross, is if you look at where your businesses were two years ago to where they are today, to where they're going to be in two, three, five, ten years, you, you're creating world-class businesses. And I think it's, it's the entrepreneurs that sit behind it that, that go and drive that in terms of, that there's a weight on your shoulders in terms of, wearing many different hats and driving that growth and pipeline and client wins. But actually, I think and that's where privacy can help support and uh, bring bring a skill set in. I, I think you'll see, as Tom mentioned, that, that M&A journey, uh, whether it's product services, 
uh, going into new geographies, uh, further afield in the UK. I think you'll see the size and shape, and that's always going to be attractive to private equity and trade alike. So I think there's there's so much reason for optimism over the next three, five, ten years and beyond. Great stuff, James, and thank you very much for the for the kind words. And and Ross, finish us off in terms of what you think will happen in the next year. Obviously, it's all been relatively positive in terms of the the outlook. Any words of caution and. I suppose uh, any initial reaction to Tom's prediction around uh, you know US private equity being interested in European service headquartered businesses. So hopefully that puts you in the right kind of um, time period for something quite amazing in in the next few years. Maybe a billion, uh, maybe, a, maybe a billion dollar or a billion pound acquisition as you uh, predicted last time. Yeah, throw caution to the wind. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, for me, you know, building building capacity, you know, helps build, you know, our you know sort of subsector economies, right? And that helps build build the market and sector. I think, from, from my perspective, I think M and A gets M and A gets you to the end in mind for a business cycle for private equity a lot quicker. Um, so we're we're in a situation now. We want to do um, GMP manufacturing. Okay, it's a business well well documented to be doing. You know, for me to greenfield it, it takes a long time. And actually, the capital cost is a lot. And a lot of CDMOs in, in the marketplace have been very successful by divesting assets from Big Pharma when they become available. Not many greenfield. They might bolt on new capabilities and capacity to an ex-Big Pharma site. So because the, the payback periods for greenfielding manufacturing assets and small molecule manufacturing especially, um, drug substance uh, are, are so long um, then to be able to build that capacity and capability the only real option is, is M&A and I think that's the same for many other private equity backed platforms in, in Europe and the US is um, to get that returning capital in the in the business cycle requires yeah requires to be able to hit the ground running um, having a customer base already in place or a you know an anchor customer so you can build you can build that asset quickly but um, yeah, I think I think Europe is a is a an epicenter for for high value um, CDMO activities is is going to increase and improve. We do see onshoring. Many of our customers want us to to go across the value chain because we're looking to do less in the east. Um, and I think you know for European businesses at the moment in the pharma services space, it's it's a great place to be. Um, I think not compensates for the, the headwinds and the, and the the biotech industry but we'll just have to wait and see uh, I'm super excited I always am and yes let's see let's see what let's see what cats and, and other great brands in the UK and Europe can do and obviously in CDMOs in, in the US I think we can all win together um, outsourcing trends here to stay and um, you know we just have to make sure that you know we continue the quality work that many of the platforms in the business um, sector does you're here Ross and uh, always the optimist and uh, you know just like myself that's exactly the best way to be and and that leads me just to, to finally thank you all uh, James Ross and Tom for for your insights for for making time and and sharing your fantastic expertise with our listeners here on on molecule to market really appreciate you but all being guests on today's show hi again 
thanks for tuning in to today's show i really hope you enjoyed the episode for more shows have a look on spotify apple or amazon wherever you like to listen and do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically and please get in touch via our website at molecule to market pod or via linkedin or twitter we love to hear from you so if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization that you think would make a great guest on molecule to market then please let us know we'll see you very soon you're listening to molecule to market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.